Hey, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you all to another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Thank you so much for rocking with me for another hour out of your week. Another fantastic show this week lined in store for you all. Bryna Kramer from Wizards Extra and Talk Nerdy with us will be stopping by. She's going to help me understand the rationale for the Washington Wizards and help introduce me to some new television shows that we all should keep an eye out on. So you're not going to want to miss that interview. Plus, the Super Bowl was so boring that Bama's really are trying to convince us that Julian Edelman should be a Hall of Famer. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't let that slide. We're going to talk about all that and so much more. But y'all know exactly where we're starting for quarter number one. First quarter. Spreading the news. Hey, come on, y'all. I'm leaving today. Y'all know the words. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. Hey, yo, I'm going to be so obnoxious. Y'all, I mean, look, man. It has been damn near 19 years. 18 for real. 18 years since the Knicks have been consistently good. And I am fully aware that the likelihood that we will continue to be an awful franchise is very, very high. But for this one piece, this one moment in time, y'all indulge me. You understand? Let me live. I'm going to enjoy the next X amount of months. You know what I'm saying? Until we inevitably have the third pick in the draft. But right now, it's all positive. It's all optimism for Knicks fans like myself. Because, damn it, after years, after almost two decades of doing everything wrong, we possibly, possibly, maybe, be we're maybe on the verge of doing it right in just one year. I don't know what to do with myself. I, I know people who are Lakers fans. I know people who are Warriors fans. Hell, we all know people who are Warriors fans now, but have no idea about Run TMC. You know, that's very convenient. You know what I mean? But Spurs fans, I know them. Real Spurs Heat fans. People who have had success throughout their entire adult lives. I have had one year, one season, since I have been an adult where the Knicks were not a laughing stock. So allow me to bask in the, the, the glory of potential for three months, because that's all it is. That's all this is. Do I, do I honestly think, if, if you were to, you don't even have to inject me with truth serum. I don't think the Knicks are going to get Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, or Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, or Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I think there is a, a very real possibility that we get one, of them, um, at least as it stands right now. I don't think we get both. And I definitely do not think we're going to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Zion. I don't think that's going to happen. But we are in position to try. And yes, that bar is extremely low, but damn it, that's all I got. And let me bask in that. And this all stems from 
a move that happened last week. Again, having a podcast that comes out on Thursday, I promise you, in my head, that made sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there are podcasts that come out on Wednesdays. There are a lot of podcasts that come out on Fridays and Mondays. There's all these other things. So I was like, yo, let me get, you know what I'm saying? The weekend started a day early. Let's put this joint out on a Thursday. And I promise you, I could talk enough to make that make sense. But every week, Thursday evening, something in the sports world's pop sports world pops off. And last week, it was Chris Stops, my Latvian son, being moved over to Dallas. Now, there was a wide range of emotions that I felt last Thursday afternoon, evening. Because initially, the reports were that the Knicks traded Chris Stops to Dallas for Dennis Smith Jr. and a bunch of expiring contracts. If you have listened to this podcast for even a month, you know I am not high on Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and that's not going to change now because he's a Knicks fan. In fact, I'll probably become more critical of him because I'll watch more games that he plays. So when I heard that initial report, I'm thinking, oh my God, these dudes really value Dennis Smith Jr. And they must value him because, again, he can jump really high, he's really fast, and he can dunk. You know what I mean? The counting statistics. The same things that I can't stand from 29 other teams. It really pisses me off when it comes from the Knicks because the Knicks have always done this. They've always valued the PPG guy. Not giving any, not getting any concern about his actual productivity, his actual frequency of making the shots, right? Because every NBA, I won't say every, the vast majority of NBA players, they're extremely good at playing basketball. So if you give them a lion's share of offensive opportunities, they will score points. Scoring points is cool. How frequently can you make baskets, right? Again, I, I always make this analogy. If we are bowling, I go bowling and you go bowling, and I get 10 strikes, right? But I only play one, one game. Was it 12 frames, right? One game is 12 frames, I believe. We go out the next day, you know, chilling with your friends. I'm like, yeah, man, I had 10 strikes yesterday. But I only played one full game of bowling. You had 10 strikes, but you played nine games, you know? So if the next day we're both talking to our friends, our mutual friends, we're all out. And they're like, yeah, you know, I had 10 strikes yesterday. And they say, yeah. And then you come in and say, yo, I had 10 strikes too. Yeah, you did. But... What you did is anything close to what I did. Because I had 10 strikes in one game. You had 10 strikes in nine. You understand? I'm, what I did was far more impressive. So just because a player takes 22 shots, and we do this all over the NBA, a player can score 22 points, but they'll take 19 shots. And everybody will celebrate it. And I look around, I'm like, yeah, that's not really that good. 19 offensive possessions at least resulted to 22 points. That's really nothing to brag about. And for all of my adult life, that player, the guy who takes a bunch of shots and doesn't get the, doesn't get a, you know, doesn't have the same number of points that he should, will brag. And we'll, we'll, we'll brag about the Stephon Marbury's and the Steve Francis's and the, you know, Carmelo Anthony's. And the list goes on and on to Chris Stops. And we'll get to Chris Stops in a second. But the Knicks have always been the team to overvalue PPG and undervalue production and frequency and efficiency. We don't ever 
place the proper um, importance on that. And that's why we struggle to win games. So initially, I'm thinking, okay, we got these these expirings off our books, but just getting Dennis Smith Jr. in return for Kristaps, that's not good enough. Because Kristaps has real value. Because there are more teams who think like the Knicks. And then it started coming out, okay, well, they also got uh, possible future draft compensations. And I was like, okay. So I was like, all right, man, we'll probably get, because again, the bar has been set so low for the Knicks, I'm thinking we got a heavily protected first round pick you know, from the Mavs, just one. And then when I found out what we actually got, we got one unprotected first round and then a top 10 protected first. So we got two first round picks. So in my mind, I was thinking that Dennis Smith Jr. was the apple that the Knicks were chasing. When in fact, out of all the things that the New York Knicks got in return for Kristaps Porzingis, Dennis Smith Jr. was the fourth best asset and then i start thinking okay well maybe this is the different a different organization maybe this is a different regime for real not just in name but in theory in practice in in how they think since i was 18 Kristaps porzingis is easily one of my five favorite players who's ever played in orange and blue this is not even a question honestly the five Knicks who have been my favorite players since since we traded Marcus Camby and everything kind of just fell apart. My five favorite Knicks have been David Lee, Danilo Gallinari, Iman Shumpert, Jeremy Lin, and now Kristaps Porzingis in that order. He, in the last, I mean, he didn't play this season, so the last three years, He's really been the only thing that has been there's the, he's the only thing that makes you want to watch the team because you know they're not going to win. They don't play an aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. There's so many bad habits, but you know what? We had this guy who looked different, who's from a different country and played exciting like he was the guy who was getting the highlights and that's fun. The way I was talking about Wizards fans and how they admired Kelly Oubre and how they really, really enjoyed his game and they connected with him. He was fun. He was charismatic. The same rules apply to Kristaps. Kristaps was a fun player. He did things that no other player on the team could do. I mean, alley-oops, fun blocks. And it was just exciting because you're like, yo, we have a unicorn. But if you've listened to this podcast for the close to two years since I've been doing it, you heard my skepticism in regards to re-signing him. And this is completely removed from the ACL tear, which again is a huge thing, and we'll get to that in a second as well. But I've started to, since this show started, I was like, you know what? People would compare Chris Stops to Joel Embiid and to Nikola Jokic and to Carl Anthony Towns, and he wasn't on that level. And I... And I would say, like, you know what? He needs to develop. After his second season, I was like, you know what? Chris Stops does a lot very well. He's an amazing defensive player. He protects the rim. He's one of the best players at doing that in the league. But he falls in love with a lot of bad jump shots. His shooting chart leaves a lot to desire. 
He doesn't get to the free throw line as much as he probably should. And there is there are some issues that have nothing to do with his health that are starting to become worrisome, mainly his brother Giannis. That didn't mean that I was out on him or that I wish him ill will or that I, 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 I have, you know, negative feelings toward him. It was concerning con- ba- mainly because that impending rookie contract, that first contract off your rookie deal. And I've talked about this at nauseum on this show. That that one signing is so problematic because when it's someone that you draft and it's someone that you invest in, oftentimes fans as well as front offices, they get seduced by potential. You have four years to see what this player can do and how they have produced outside of, again, PPG, but actual production. And so many times it's hard for people not to keep on looking at things the way they hope it to be. We put far too much importance on the positives that may not come as frequently as all the negatives. Because anytime a player that you draft, a player that's charismatic, a player that gets the fans excited, the player that sells tickets, when they do, when they have a really good hot streak or when they play well for a short period of time, you always think, okay, he's about to turn the corner. And every time that they play poorly, we don't necessarily view that in the proper context because a player could have one month of exciting extreme play and then go back to playing three months of below average basketball. And we'll hold that one month up and we'll put it on a pedestal. Like he's almost there. He almost turned the corner. And then we'll find all these other excuses as to why those three months shouldn't count. Oh, the coaching staff is really bad. Oh, you know what? He he turned his ankle at this moment, and that was why this didn't work out. Oh, we had a tough stretch. Oh, the team wasn't passing him the ball. You hear it no matter where you are located. You hear it all the time. And with Kristaps, I was saying, you know what? The Knicks can't afford to pay him that much money because when you have $25 million or $28 million, designated to one player who is not an elite level player you literally have no room for error if you do have dreams of being a contender not even a champion but just a contender if you have one bad contract you can't have anything go wrong the timberwolves have car anthony towns an amazing basketball player sign him as they should to this huge contract that's not a problem the problem with the timberwolves is they also have Andrew Wiggins. So even though you have an incredibly valuable and incredible talent on your team in Cat, you have an even worse albatross of a contract on your team as well because Andrew Wiggins is not a good player, let alone a max level player. So the Timberwolves have no margin for error, even though they have an incredible value in Cat. That's the issue with all these teams. You can have one bad contract, but you better not make any mistakes. You better not strike out on any other level. And the Wizards, you know, we talk about the Wizards a lot, and we'll talk about the Wizards later in the show with Bryna. They have a pretty decent value contract. Again, I I don't believe, I don't have that high, I don't rate Beal as high as many others, but I wouldn't say that that contract is bad. But they've got John... 
They've got Otto, and they've got Jan. So even with an incredible player this season, like Beal is playing really well. I'm not going to argue that. Some people think he's playing at an all-NBA level. Even with that said, and even playing in the Eastern Conference, the Wizards are struggling just to make the playoffs. You got to get everything right if you have one bad contract. If you have more than one, cancel Christmas. So the Knicks were eyeing paying Kristaps, someone who has an effective field goal percentage for his entire career of 48. For those of you who do not follow that, that's fine. That is god-awful. People, people think that Kristaps is a great shooter. He's a great three-point shooter. The problem is he shoots so few or he shoots far too many long twos, bad shots, post-ups, shots that he's not good at making. So although he's a very good three-point shooter, doesn't necessarily finish that well. He doesn't get to the line because his, his handle's not that creative, and he settles for way too many 18-foot shots that he misses. And now we bring in the injury. Kristaps has missed more than a third of the games that he has played. More than a third. He is now also coming off an ACL tear, and you don't really have to look that far to search for seven foot plus men in the NBA and how their bodies fail them. And not after 20, not after 10 years, not after 12 years, throughout their first six to seven years in their career. And Chris Stops has an ACL tear. He also has had a bruised Achilles, foot injuries, and he's anemic. And there is, in my opinion, there's not a coincidence that after November, after Thanksgiving every year, there is a steep drop-off in Kristaps' productivity. This has happened every year. So going to Dallas probably helps him because it's not cold in Dallas the way it's cold, obviously, in New York. But there has been issues with his health in addition to issues with his play. So as a Knicks fan, man, I, I got PTSD. Stockholm Central, man. I don't. I am conditioned to think everything that the Knicks do is bad. It will be a, a, a bad decision. It is the absolute worst move to make. Because for 18, 19 years, this has been the reality for this organization. But then I'm talking to uh, my buddy who is an international scout. And he was talking to me, you know, because, you know, once I found out the first round picks, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't hate the move. I hated the move when I thought it was just Dennis Smith Jr. When I realized that we got two first-round picks, I was like, okay, this is cool. And then the next day, I was like, I, I actually do like this trade. Completely separate. I have no idea what the Knicks are going to do with this cap space. I am fearful for what they end up doing, but we'll talk about, on, about that on another show. But I talked to my buddy, again, international scout, and he's like, yo, Armand, the Knicks are always the team to sign the player with knee injuries, right? We did it with Damari. We did it with Derrick Rose. We traded for Derrick Rose. We traded for Steve Francis. We, we always go after the guy who has the big name, right, the big bright lights on the marquee, but has all these red flags in regards to their body. We do that all the time. Joe Kim Noah, probably the last guy to do so. He's like, this year, you guys didn't do that. 
He then says, Armand, you guys are the team who always goes after PPG. You don't ever, you know, get out of a bad contract. You guys are always looking to sign the big name. The guy who can, like the flash, the glitter. The guy who sells tickets. Then I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's what we did with Melo. He's like, yeah, and you guys are also the guy, the team who never pays attention to advanced statistics. You traded the farm for Carmelo, even though Carmelo was never an elite-level player. You traded the farm for Stephon Marbury, even though Stephon Marbury was never an elite-level player. You signed Allen Houston to that crazy contract way back when, even though Allen Houston, and I love Allen Houston. Don't, don't, don't say nothing negative about Allen Houston to me. But we always do that, even though Allen Houston was not an elite-level player. So he was like, and when was the last time the Knicks traded for future first-round picks? Because he was saying, every time you guys have a bad contract or two, you guys always attach a first-round pick to move it. And he was like, this year, you guys moved the bad contract. In fact, you moved two of them, and you got two first-round picks in addition. So I'm talking to my buddy who's an international scout, has worked with the NBA before, someone who is not just some dude I know, but someone who I appreciate and who knows what he's talking about. And he's telling me all these things. And I'm like, yo, this isn't, this may, I shouldn't say it isn't, but maybe this isn't the same old Knicks. Maybe Scott Perry is actually bringing in a completely new idea and a completely new mentality to this organization. I don't trust him. He's light-skinned with no facial hair. I have been conditioned, just like I've been conditioned to, to, to believe the Knicks will make the worst move possible. I have been conditioned to think light-skinned bombers with no facial hair don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't trust them. Even Steph, Steph and Clay, you see they got the little scraggly little chin hair. They, they try to break the mold. Think about it. But maybe, just maybe, maybe Scott Perry knows what he's doing. Because this is not the way the Knicks run their organization. It hasn't been the way they've run their organization for close to two decades. We don't ever trade for first-round picks. We're the team who's always giving away first-round picks. We don't ever trade for an unprotected first-round pick. I don't even know when the last time that happened. We're never the team who was like, yo, this is a contract that we should avoid signing. We always welcome the guys who have the, the injury risks, right? We always sign the guys with the bad knees and the bad feet. We always do this. And this, this time, the Knicks, not only do they not sign the guy with the bad knees and the bad health issues, they trade him. And they get future picks and they get cap space and they get a prospect. Though I'm not high on that prospect, he is still a prospect. Hold on. What team do I like again? Because this doesn't seem like the Knicks. I would not allow myself to believe too much because there's a small piece of me. I'm trying to fight it off. There's a small piece of me that does believe that this is going to be an incredible offseason. But I will not allow, I will not fall into that trap. I am guarding my heart from fully believing into the pipe dream that is KD, Kyrie, and Zion. I'm not going there. 
And there is a still a very high percent chance that we ruin the cap space that we just created by signing Kimball Walker and DeMarcus Cousins to two max contracts or Chris Middleton. That is absolutely still in play. But right now, for these three months, Slim, let me live, let me enjoy the possibility that the Knicks have finally, finally learned from 20 years of ineptitude and dysfunction. I'm sure a lot of y'all hate that first quarter. So if you completely disagree with what I said, if you think the Knicks were dumb for training Kristaps Porzingis, if you think the Knicks are crazy for believing that they can sign one, let alone two legit max free agents, let me know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me at quarterlyshow. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. I love to hear from you all because, damn it, I've heard everybody in the media consistently, with the exception of Amin El Hassan and a few other, Nate Duncan as well, a few other people like this movement. The vast majority of people have been killing it, killing the Knicks, business as usual. I would love to hear what you guys are saying. And also, one thing that has stuck out to me, Giannis Porzingis. The media will kill Kyrie Irving's father. The media killed Kawhi Leonard's uncle. The media is in the process of not killing, but taking shots at AD's pops. When will the media start addressing Chris Topps' brother? Because, damn it, Rick Carlisle addressed him in the introductionary introduction press conference in Dallas the other day. I had never seen anything like that. I don't know, man. As I get older, I become uh, 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 become more and more of a conspiracy theorist. So I don't know. And obviously I do have a bias. I'm not going to pretend that it does not exist. God knows the number of times I said we <laughs> in reference to the Knicks. So I get it. I am biased, but y'all can't tell me that don't, that don't smell funny. You can't tell me that don't seem kind of crazy how anytime a family member or a close friend forces things when it comes to their their star player the media is quick to bash it but the media hasn't said much about Giannis even though Rick Carlisle felt it necessary to shout him out I don't know a little bit crazy for me but that's enough about the Knicks I promise you guys I, I've done really good the last two years not spending too much time on the Knicks so we're not going to talk much more about the Knicks for the next up, upcoming weeks I promise I'm gonna try my best but we are going to talk about this Super Bowl that trash game that happened this past Sunday that's quarter number two. Second so quarter. who didn't see that coming? The New England Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl. Tom Brady has won more Super Bowls than any other NFL franchise. And that game was one of the more boring Super Bowls than I can ever remember. Now, I'm not going to get on the, this podcast and take up this segment to talk about how bad or how how little I enjoyed the Super Bowl because, you know, that's lame. I watched the first half. I was like, okay, that's enough for me. And then I left the party, you know, gave my sister a kiss, you know, on the cheek, left the party, left everybody alone, man, said goodbye to all the folks that was there, rolled out, got some dinner. You know, my daughter took a bath. She went to sleep, and I watched True Detective. That's how I spent my Super Bowl Sunday after the half. I didn't even watch the halftime show. But that Super Bowl had to be 
So boring. So stupefying, if you will. Because the next the, the next morning I wake up and everyone's talking about how Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. Huh? How how do we get there? You know, I understand it's the end of the NFL season. You know, you got you need storylines to talk about for the next few days on all these sports talk shows or whatever. And, you know, some people want to talk about, hey, man, what happened with Ty Gurley? To me, it's clear that he hasn't been healthy for the last few weeks, but he says he's fine. Sean McVay says he's fine. You know, some people wanted to talk about, oh, my goodness, did we overrate Sean McVay? Of course not. This is year two of Sean McVay coaching the Rams, and they won. They went to the Super Bowl, and and they held the mighty Tom Brady to 13 points. You know, all these kind of manufactured storylines started popping out because there was really nothing to talk about during the game. There was nothing really to talk about. So then someone, I guess it happened during the post game. Julian Edelman is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I'm just like, bro, we got to stop. Of the New England wide receivers, right? I, I forget where I, it was online somewhere. Maybe it was Complex Sports. They did like a comparison of Julian Edelman's career numbers, playoffs included, and Deion Branch's career numbers, playoffs included. No, and, and they're the same. But the, in fact, Deion Branch, I believe, has more touchdowns than Julian Edelman. No one's saying that, you know, Deion Branch is a Hall of Famer and he's got a Super Bowl MVP. And if you want to look at, you know, kind of the, the, the Patriots way, their new type of wide receiver, you know, the white slot, really, really quick, really athletic guy that you put in the slot. I mean, Wes Walker is better than Julian Edelman. I'm not knocking Julian Edelman. Please don't listen to this and think that I'm hating on him. Shout out to Julian Edelman. If you want to say that Julian Edelman is the Robert Ori of the NFL, I'm rocking. It's cool. He has played huge games and he, or he, he has put forth huge performances in huge games throughout his career. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he's playing with Tom Brady. But I'm not going to take anything away from it. Just like I don't take away from Robert Ori that he was playing with Shaq and Kobe and he was playing with Tim Duncan. Boom. That's part of his legacy, and it's a legacy that we all should respect. But if Heinz Ward, who also has a Super Bowl MVP, if Heinz Ward is not in the Hall of Fame, you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that Julian Edelman is. I don't care how boring Super Bowl the Super Bowl was. There's no way you can make that make sense to any rational sports fan. It just can't. So I start thinking, man, like, hold on. Why, why is this even a thing? And I, I genuinely feel because the Super Bowl lacked so much luster, if you will, that people had to manufacture topics. Because look. Last year on this show, I told y'all the Patriots were going to go to the Super Bowl and that I think that they're going to win. And the NFL, as we talk about all the time on this show, they swear it's filled with competitive balance and filled with parity. This was the second time the Rams and the Patriots played in the Super Bowl. After last year, we saw the second time the Patriots and the Eagles 
played in the Super Bowl. The Giants and the Patriots have already played in the Super Bowl twice. So shout out to fans of Seattle or Carolina or Atlanta because y'all next up. If history tells us anything, y'all up next. Check this out. Tom Brady is what been a starter for 17 years. I believe that's what that's that's what the years have been. 17. Look at the people who've beaten him. Just in the AFC side. To beat Tom Brady in the AFC, you gotta have Peyton Manning, Ray Lewis, or is that it? No, you know he's lost to Denver before too. And or Mark Sanchez. Right? He's got two fluke losses in 17 years in the AFC side. And the entire duration of this Patriot run. If you don't have Ray Lewis or Peyton Manning, you better hope that Mark Sanchez or Jake Plummer can pull magic out of their behind. Pun intended. That's nuts, bro. Ray Lewis, one of the greatest players ever. Peyton Manning, one of the greatest players ever. Two of the best players of this generation. Those are the only teams who can beat Tom Brady more than once. You got to have one of them on your team just to get out the AFC. That's nuts, bro. And because the NFL continues to, to push this idea and this concept, this narrative, that every team can win. Every team has a shot at the Super Bowl. It forces them to come up with some type of crazy, this crazy talking point. Because the only takeaway worth having from this Super Bowl is that, yeah, Tom Brady did it again. Bill Belichick did it again. 17 years, nine Super Bowl appearances, six Super Bowl championships. That's over a third of the time they've played together. They've gotten a Super Bowl ring. And one of those years, Brady got hurt in the first game, bro. But because the, all of these networks want to slurp the NFL and all of these personalities don't ever just kind of sit back and look at things logically. Oh, we, we can't say that the Patriots won again. We can't talk about how in the AFC you really have no shot of beating the Patriots if you don't have, I don't know, two of the greatest players to ever play the game outside of Tom Brady. The talking points can't be, oh, man, this is the second time the Patriots played the Rams in the Super Bowl in less than 20 years. This whole myth of competitive balance is nuts. None of them are going to talk about that because that that is to kind of strip away at the appeal of the NFL. So, of course, none of these shows or none of these personalities or radio talk hosts, nobody's going to talk about that. The biggest takeaway coming out of Super Bowl Sunday, the largest talking point was if Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. Slim. We all got to realize when we are getting played. I was not born yesterday and neither were you. Like, What's the purpose of keeping this lie? Shout out to Slim Charles. If it's a lie, we're going to fight on this lie. That's what the hell, that's what the NFL are doing. They are fighting on this lie. So much so that they will even spend hours debating whether Julian Edelman 
not Deion Branch, not Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, not Danny Amendola. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? When Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt haven't made the Hall of Fame yet. Get the out of here, Slim. For real. All right, y'all. You guys heard the horn. That is the first half. I want to thank you all for rocking with me so far on the quarterly report. Before we get to halftime, a few house cleaning items to get to. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Email me your questions, suggestions. Do you think I'm nuts? Do you disagree with me? Am I wrong for thinking that Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer? All you guys in Boston who listen to the show, number one, thank you. Number two, I hope the Celtics fall apart. And number three, let me know if I'm wrong. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E -E. And make sure you follow me on Instagram at quarterlyreport there as well. All right, guys, halftime is here. And yes, for many of you all, this is a sad time of the year. There is no more NFL football for another, what, seven months or so. I know this is a difficult time for all of you out there. So before we bid adieu, we say farewell to the NFL until September. What better way to give a parting shot? To say goodbye to the NFL, then to play the game that we all love to play. The question that I'm sure we have all asked from time to time. Did Ray Lewis really say that shit? Hello and welcome to the game that continues to sweep across the nation. That game is, did Ray Lewis really say that shit? The rules are very simple. I ask you three questions and you at home can play along. All you have to do is answer, did Ray Lewis really say that shit? Ready? Here's the first question. Did Ray Lewis, while working out with Nelly, once say, a man shouldn't grimace even while working out? You bet your ass he did. Take a listen. 25 hammers. Here you go. Stay in there. Stay in there. We in a dog fight now. A man's face should be the calmest ever. Nobody should ever know what you're thinking. Absolutely. They should never know how bad it hurt. They should never know how bad it hurt. Only you supposed to know that. Come on. Good job. Question number two. While talking to Ed Reed, did he tell him he gets teary-eyed while watching his old games because he would have voluntarily died for the future Hall of Famer. Ray Lewis probably had CTE because of course he said that. I'm telling you, man, I watch films of us now, boy, and I get teary-eyed because nobody don't know the sacrifice. I died down that gridiron for 20. We're still telling them, telling them stories, man. Hey. Still telling them stories. I, I can't stop telling them. Okay. Time for the final question. Did Ray Lewis actually say, while on Colin Cowherd's radio show, that 300 million people either played in the NFL or have played football in the entire history of this country? So listen to these numbers I found out, and this is why I'm still on cloud 99. 
The only thing higher is 100, and that's heaven, right? But 300 million men have played this game. 300 million. 300 million people in America in a, have played this game. 300 million people have played this game. 318 are Hall of Famers. Jesus. I go in at 315, but 174 is the only, that's all that's left level of Hall of Famers that played this game. Really? What the fuck is he even talking about? Thank you again for playing the game. Did Ray Lewis really say that shit? See you next time. Yo, the, the best part of that last one is Cowherd at the end being like, really? Hell no, man. He just made that entire thing up. So 300. Slim. 300. There are 300 and about, what, 20? 325, 330 million people in the country now? <laughs> so he's saying that he's either saying that there are 300 million people who've ever played the in the NFL, which is insane. I think there's only like 28,000 people who've ever played in the NFL. Or he's saying that there have been 300 million Americans to have played the game of football, which is essentially like saying the entire U.S. population right now has played football. That's nuts, bro. <laughs> yeah, your man is out of his mind. Why do people still... You know what? I was about to ask. Why do people still bring him on television? But the more they bring him on, the more ammunition I have to do that halftime segment. Because his ass is nuts. And Bamas was partying with... Can you imagine going to a party with Ray Lewis? <laughs> Bamas is out your mind, Joe. All right, man, that's halftime. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got two quarters down, meaning there are two more to go. And we're going to start this off right with our third quarter this week. My guest, Bryna Kramer. Third. Very excited to have on my next guest, making her debut appearance on the Quarterly Report podcast. She is the managing editor for Talk Nerdy with us, a site devoted to television and all types of media. And she is a beat reporter for the Washington Wizards for Wizards Extra Bryna Kramer. Bryna, thank you so much for joining me this week on The Quarterly Report. Of course, Armand. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. So we're going to talk about television a little bit later on, but we're going to start the show or start this interview with the Washington Wizards. I continue to say that despite being however many games under 500 they are at the time you all listen to this interview, they are among the most fascinating and interesting teams in the entire league. And I say that not just because I live in the area, but I truly do feel that way. Uh, not too long ago, the owner, Ted Leonsis, went on WTOP locally in the D.C. area and said that the Wizards would not be moving John Wall, Otto Porter, or Bradley Bill before the trade deadline. Um, we could talk about, I guess, a macro uh, look on the team a little bit later, but... Do you feel that it is in the Wizards' best interest? Do you think it's smart for the Wizards to basically declare that their three highest-paid players are untouchable? No. And I, don't, I, I honestly don't think that any person who like, closely follows this team probably would agree. Like, right. I can kind of understand like, not completely blowing it up and saying like, you're getting rid of two of the three guys or even like, earlier in the season when things were looking really bad, you know, saying like trading Bradley Beal. Because I was never a fan of the idea of trading Brad. But, like, I don't understand why Otto isn't getting moved. Or, I mean, right. I know there's, like, some rumors that, 
you know, he may still could possibly be moved and that, you know, he has a bunch of teams interested in him. But, like, to me, like, I feel like if you're going to move anyone, like, why isn't it Otto? And, like, right. why aren't they moving Otto? Like, that to me just, like, doesn't make sense at all. See, you know, here's the thing. And I don't want to – and I'm not even going to call it devil's advocate, honestly, because I am a fan of Otto Porter while still recognizing he has been – he hasn't played well this season. He just hasn't. And he was overpaid. Like, all of those things can be true. Um, but I guess when you look at the bigger picture, because he's played so poorly this season, I don't know how moving Otto helps the team moving forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have no problems trading Otto. And maybe this is all kind of a ploy, a tactic to kind of drive up his value because he has played so poorly. But if you trade Otto Porter, I don't know if you're going to get financial flexibility and a young asset now maybe that portland there have been reports recently that portland was offering a first round pick and possibly cap flexibility in a a, a trade for auto so if you can get a young prospect or a pick i'm all for it but i just am not confident that auto porter especially the way he's playing this season can get you anything to help you moving forward. So then it's like, if it's just moving auto, I don't understand what the plan is. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think, I like you said, like, I think it's like you said, if you can get out of Portland, the first round pick and, you know, a young asset or whatever you need to make it work, I definitely think in that way for cap flexibility, it does, you know, I think that is something the Wizards need. The thing that I think still blows my mind, though, about what Ted said in that interview, I mean, beyond the fact that he just said that Brad and John and Otto weren't going to be traded, was that he said then, you know, that they think the draft is the best way that they can improve their team and they may make some, you know, trades around the deadline later this week, but, like, and then next offseason, whatever. But, like, if they really believe that, like, the draft is a way to help themselves, then, like, why aren't they going to trade somebody, like, one of the core, so that they can start? I don't know if it'll be, like, a full-blown tank because, obviously, Ted doesn't believe in that, but, like, to start losing a little bit more so that they can, like, then, therefore, improve themselves in the draft. If that's really how they believe the best way to improve their team is, and like, why aren't they doing the thing to help them get better in the draft? Right, right. The whole thing is kind of odd altogether. Right, yeah. The whole, I mean, the Wizards have always been an odd team. I mean, there's never a dull moment, whether they're winning or losing. Like, there is always a story to cover, and there is always something happening. But, like, this season especially, it's just, like, they always seem to be contradicting themselves. Like they say one thing, but then they really should be doing another, but then they'll say something else that contradicts it. I don't know. It's just all weird. Like, I mean, it's fun, but like, it's weird. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Bryna Kramer. She is the beat reporter for Wizards Extra, covers the Washington Wizards, which we're discussing now, and managing editor for Talk Nerdy with us, website devoted to television shows. And we're going to talk about TV and things to watch a little bit later, but I want to stick here with the Wizards for a second. And, You know, when you kind of just take in the last few seasons with Washington, I feel as if they're moving in the wrong direction. You look at teams who were on the same level as Washington just two, three seasons ago, or even a little bit behind Washington. We're talking about the Torontos, the Bostons, the Milwaukee's, the Philadelphia's. They've all have since lapped Washington, and and the Wizards seem to be comfortable just running it back with the the same core, I should say. Um... You know, if they don't make the playoffs this year, it will be the second time in four seasons that they've missed the playoffs. And they now have to pivot and start looking at keeping Bradley Beal because I can't imagine he wants to stay in the prime of his career to a organiza- to an organization that 
is moving in the wrong direction and he's already cursed out the general manager to his face um i know a lot of people are against blowing up and i and i don't even want to call it blowing up i i like reset i think this is a perfect opportunity personally for the wizards to jumpstart their reset and in doing that that would be moving bradley bill if you and i'm not sure if you are but if you are against the rebuild the reset why is no, that? i definitely i'd agree i think blow it i don't think they need to blow it up i don't think they need to go like full-on tank necessarily but i do think this is a chance to look at like you said look themselves in the mirror and say what are we doing do we want to, I mean, like, I, again, I don't necessarily think they should stick with, like, the whole state core, but, like, if they want right. to, like, you know, do whatever they need to do to build, like, a sufficient team around them. If they're not, trade one of them, do whatever they're going to do to, like, reset. I like the word reset much better right. than blow up. But, <laughs> I mean, like, in terms, I think the whole thing about, like, moving forward, and especially just for the rest of the season, is it's such an interesting question about, like, what they're going to do, even just for the rest of this season, because, like, I think whether they're going to make a playoff push or not, I think they will. And I think, realistically, they can make the playoffs, and they probably will as the 7th or 8th seed. But, like, should they? I, yeah. You know, probably not if you're looking, again, back to the draft and, like, just a little bit more losing to move up a little bit better in the draft is better than making the playoffs. But, like, Ted doesn't just subscribe to that. And I think, you know, neither does the team. And I think when you look at their records, I mean, they're not that far out from the eighth seed. And when you look at the games they have coming up left, I mean, February is kind of a weird month with all-star break. But right. in March, I mean, they play so much better at home. And at March, they have, I mean, at least, I think it's like nine or ten home games just in the month of March alone. So, right. like, theoretically, they should be better in March. And, I mean, the East is also terrible. So, like, that helps them. I mean, but, like, I don't know. So, like, should they push for that? Probably not. But will they? And will they probably be successful at it? Probably. So, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a weird question of, like, should they go for the playoffs? No. But, like, will they? Yes. You know, you hit the nail on the head, especially when you look at last year's first-round pick, who was taken right outside the lottery. They don't even play him. Right. And that's a whole other thing. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, this is the thing. I feel like if, if the Wizards just picked a plan, and you don't even have to agree with whatever decision they made, but if they just made a decision and stuck with it, and rolled it out, they would be in a much better position, whether it's tank or just go for it. Because now it seems like they're easily moved one way or the other, so they never have any type of momentum with whatever plan that they make because two days later, they'll reverse and try to do something else. And it just leaves them in a no man's land. Right. I mean, and I think it's so weird, too. I think, I don't, like you said, like, I don't think anyone, I mean, people might be upset, but, like, I don't think anyone would blame them necessarily if they leaned into whatever decision one way or the other. Like, we're going for a full playoff push and, like, make these trades at the deadline that will, you know, get you better than just doing the eighth seed or whatever. Like, do whatever you need to do. Like, lean into it that way. And if you don't, if you don't want to just make the playoffs and be a first-round exit, then, like, don't even push for the playoffs at all and, like, lose a little bit more. Like, you don't need to be the 15th seed in the East, but, like, you know, yeah. lose a little bit more and, you know, go lean into the draft a little bit more, like they said they want to do. So, like, I don't think anyone would blame them either way. Just make a decision and, like, stick with it. Absolutely. And and I've been saying this for a while. I think worst-case scenario for the Wizards is that Brad, when he voiced his concern and displeasure with Ernie Grunfeld early in the season – he actually does intend or has the idea of leaving when his free agency is up in two years. And if you've paid attention in the NBA, 
you can't wait till a star player's contract year to move him because you won't get anything in return. So, you know, losing Brad for nothing is a real possibility and should be a nightmare scenario for this team. So building to win next season is paramount. And I hope that they don't think just a healthy Dwight Howard is the key to you know, becoming an Eastern Conference contender. Well, and for sure, like, in going off the recent trends in the NBA in general, like, you have to start looking at a star's free agency, not even just, the, you know, season before right. that, but, like, two or three seasons even before that. And what's to say that, like, when they get close enough to know where they still have trade value left, that, like, the star won't ask for a trade. I mean, we saw right. it last week with Anthony Davis. He's a yeah. year and a half away from free agency, and this is still what's happening. So, like, what's to say Brad can't do the same thing next year? You know, like. Yeah, it's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrifying when that, I mean, John, you know, John aside, when, like, one of the best players in the last 10 years in your franchise is, like, probably would, I wouldn't put a cast in this threaten, you know, to, like, ask for a trade, especially since he did call out Ernie Grunfeld earlier this season. So, like, I don't know. It's kind of scary. And like you said, like, I just, I'd be curious to see, like, when like this season's all said and done with like what they start like what this summer looks like for them because i think that'll say a lot absolutely once again guys i'm joined by my guest this week brian kramer she is the managing editor for talk nerdy with us make sure you follow them on twitter at talk nerdy with us and beat reporter for wizards extra covers the washington wizards all season long so you know we talked about the washington wizards but i also want to because this is obviously a sports podcast but we do a lot more here on the show do a lot of pop, pop culture, movies, music, the whole nine. And a little bit about myself. You know, when I'm not watching boxing or the NBA and I'm not chauffeuring my daughter all across the beltway for, you know, practices and lessons, lessons and sleepovers. You know, I like to watch television, but there are not too many shows that I can really kind of sit down and engage with. Uh, my two favorite shows are Atlanta, and God knows when they start the next production or the next season or start production for the next season. And Mr. Robot, which will be having their last, their final season, either this year or next year. So I am in desperate need of some new television suggestions. So as the managing editor of Talk Nerdy with us, give me some, I guess, some of the best shows that you would recommend yeah so i know you would we kind of talked you know a little bit about like game of thrones and i'll be honest like i know everyone's looking forward to it when it comes back (laughs) i think in april i've never seen an episode of it it's not the kind of tv i typically would fall into and i just you know like maybe i'll watch it one day when it's all over and like but like i just like i really could care less about it right now (laughs) i know that's like a hot take whatever but like i really could care less um so I, it's funny, like, I typically tend to lean into a little more, like, dramas, and especially maybe, honestly, a little more, like, young adult, like, coming-of-age stories. Like, that's where my genre is. Right now, I, though surprisingly, I'm, there's a couple comedies that I really like. Um, One Day at a Time is a Netflix comedy that I feel like some people talk to or, or watch that, like, I know, but, like, I don't know if it's really, like, out there as, like, a big, like, popular thing. Right. Really, really good. It's been, it just dropped its third season not that long ago. Um, wow. But it's funny. I mean, charming. It's a socially conscious show. Very good. Um, the Good Place is a network show. I don't know if you have you do you know it's an NBC show. Um, I've heard of it. I haven't watched. I, 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 I the name sounds familiar. I can't yeah. think anything about it. But I have heard. Oh, you know what? Ted Danson, right? 
Yeah, Ted Danson, uh, Mike Schur is the creator, and he was he did Parks and Rec and okay. the other show that I'm taping. Um, yeah, The Office. So that's his show. It's very different from those kind of shows, but it's really good. I, I mean, I there's a lot of like things I could say that I I, won't, I don't want to spoil it because there are a lot of good twists and turns, and surprisingly okay. for the fact that it's a comedy, uh, it just ended its third season, which is also kind of surprising because it's January. I mean, it's February fourth right, right now fourth. and like it just ended a season um but they do they typically go for like a little bit of shorter seasons which i also just like a tv fan kind of like like i don't need all the filler episodes if that's not you know if they yeah. don't want that it's like you know yeah. right if it's not needed like don't give it to me like i'm okay with like 16 episode seasons or whatever like right. totally fine um and then but if i like if i'm like actually leaning into the shows that i really like i know a lot of people trash on the cw because like it's like or whatever I think some there are two shows on there that I really like that probably could be on other networks and like do okay in I mean I know granted they live on the CW but whatever but Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is one of just like has become honestly one of my all-time favorite shows and it's in its final season but like it's smart it's funny it's like a comedy musical thing and like it really shouldn't work but it really does and it's just it's really good I like if you if you have anyone who Rachel Bloom kind of started out as she's a creator and she's the main actress in it. And she started out as like a YouTube, like comedy. She did some stuff on Comedy Central for a while. And like, but she's just, it's so well done. And that's like one of the ones I personally lean into a lot. And I'm kind of sad to see it go. But again, it's also like they pitched it originally as a four season show and it's going to end on its fourth season. And that's something that I think the CW like, I really do admire about the CW for all the shit that it gets for it being, you know, again, like, teen dramas and stuff. They right. do, like, give their shows, like, if, you know, a lot of leeway, and they don't really look at the ratings and stuff as much as, say, like, other traditional networks do. Right. Um, and so, like, I do appreciate the fact that, like, they're letting the show end the way it's always been planned to end. And that's something to me that, like, I can really respect as, like, a network and be like, okay. Like, yes, they might make some shitty TV every once in a while, but, like... <laughs> They do, like, the shows that are good, like, they're not going to keep just, like, pinching them for money and, like, squeezing yeah. it out when they, like, shouldn't. Well, I can honestly say, of the shows you suggested, I will check out The Good Place. You understand what I'm saying? So, I, pre so I, I give you that promise. I will absolutely check that show out. Once again, guys, I am joined by Brian Kramer. She is the managing editor of Talk Nerdy With Us. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at Talk Nerdy With Us. And she also is a beat reporter. For Wizards Extra, covering the Washington Wizards, we broke down both television picks and the Wizards' upcoming, I guess, push to the playoffs, coupled with their future plans. Bryna, as always, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. This was your first time, and I'd love to have you on back later in the season. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, so we're going to finish the show up strong with our fourth topic. Fourth quarter. So shout out to Bryna. Let me, guys pull the curtain back a bit as I break down how I go about producing this podcast. Um, I did that interview with Bryna on Monday, Monday afternoon. And that's usually kind of how I like to work, you know, I, between my job, doing things for the family, my daughter, the whole nine, you know, I don't just do the whole podcast in kind of like a one in one shot. I do little by little piece it together. Obviously, the halftime segments takes, a, you know, you know, not a lot, but a little time to kind of produce or whatever. But at the time of the interview that I had with Bryna, 
the entire landscape of DC sports and the NBA was completely shifted. And you guys at this point know what I'm talking about because on Tuesday afternoon, it comes out that John Wall ruptures his Achilles. Uh, there was an infection with his first surgery. Uh, he slips and falls in his home, which ruptures his Achilles. And all things kind of focused around the Wizards changed dramatically. And I'm not even just talking about from the topics that Brian and I talked about, but just, you know, on so many different levels. And the first thing is, you know, man, I feel so bad for John. I really do. And, man, this quick aside, some of y'all on Twitter are so lame. There were more than a handful of people. I sent out a tweet. It was like, yo, man, I feel really bad for John. I'm glad he got his Supermax. Because you know what? He put his body literally and figuratively on the line. And I'm glad he got his money. Doesn't mean anything else. I'm not taking a shot at the Wizards. I'm not taking a shot at John, Ernie, anything else. Just from a basic human level, I am happy that John Wall got his money. Because what he meant to this organization was more than the 90 million or so dollars that they paid him for his first six years in this league. So I'm happy for him. I really am. Knowing that his contract, the Supermax contract will hinder everything the Wizards do moving forward. Like both of those things can exist in the same plane, right? I am sad for John Wall. I am happy that he got his money because had he not signed that Supermax contract, this would be his contract year. Like this season, he would be going into free agency. After the surgery last year and now after rupturing his Achilles, he wouldn't, you know, you just think of the, op the cost financially that that would have been. I'm happy that he got his money. And I'm also sad that a 28-year-old who clearly is a competitor, he was playing on a bad heel for the essentially the entire season. Someone who probably has always been, he probably identifies so much of himself at such a young age still with basketball. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this segment. We can talk about it later because it's obviously a larger, deeper-seated, rooted issue. But throughout John Wall's teenage years, I'm sure he was only looked upon for many people in his school, in his college, the people who want to be around him as a basketball player first, right? This is something that we've talked about a long time about the issues and why I personally feel that college athletes should be paid money because in high school, teachers, they don't oftentimes, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to general, generalize here, but oftentimes teachers, you know, people in the administrators, counselors they look at these young super talented athletic children not as students they don't push them hard in academia right they think of them as oh my gosh you're gonna win as games and obviously when he goes to kentucky they don't care about him being an, a student athlete it's about winning so so much of his, how he views himself 
has to be tied in to playing basketball. And at 28 years old, you can't play it anymore? Not at the way that you're accustomed to playing? Your career is in flux? People are talking about you being the worst contract in the league. The team is talking about possibly moving on. Not to mention you're a father. First-time father. Some of the best moments I can think of as a father, for, like, I'm obviously only have one child, but when I first had my daughter, was just doing silly stuff, dancing around, jumping around, tossing her in the air, running around, trying to make her laugh, smile, like all of these things. You grow to love changing the diaper. You grow to love, you know, putting the swaddle, or I like to call it the burrito. You grow to love doing all the things that come along with parenting. But the stuff that you instantly love is seeing your child smile and jumping around and playing and things of that nature. I'm assuming that's going to be a bit difficult with a ruptured Achilles. So all of these things are happening to a 28-year-old at once. And boy, man, I feel for him. And some of y'all who lack compassion, I'm thinking, what did John Wall do to you? Why do people, why, like, why do you feel so negatively towards a person that you do not know? Who has not ever done anything. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, I don't like this politician. No, I don't like the president. He's never met me. Okay, there's a bit, there's a huge difference between someone who can change policies that impact you and people that you may care for. Like, let's not be silly. Let's be adult here, right? John Wall is an athlete. He provides entertainment, kind of a civic unity, right? If you're in D.C. or you went to Kentucky or around the area or maybe you just love the Wizards, he provides entertainment for you. And no one can say throughout the first six or so years of his career that he did not provide that. He provided hope. He provided hope. And unfortunately, man, the Wizards and John caught bad breaks along the way. How different would we view this organization, John Wall's tenure in D.C.? Everything had he not broke his wrist in the Hawks series five years ago. How, how different would we view all of it? They would have gone to the Eastern Conference Championship, which changes so much about how we view this team, how we view that player, and the moves that could have happened subsequently. So much could have changed. The biggest shot in Wizards, not Bullets, but Wizards history, comes from John Wall. Game six at home, facing elimination, hits a three-pointer to force game seven in a series that, that, that they should have won. But imagine like how different would it have been had they beat the Celtics, a team that they should have beaten. I feel for John, man. I feel for the Wizards fans that I know. Trust me. I mean, I I can't say that I I know exactly how they feel because when Amari's body fell apart, Amari wasn't homegrown. Amari, you can't compare Amari to a Knicks fan to John as a Wizards fan. I remember when the Wizards won the lottery. That was a huge moment. I had friends going nuts. Because John Wall was that special of a player. And the real sad thing is, at every turn, at every step, at every pivotal point 
leading up to the bad news that we got on Tuesday, the Wizards organization failed John. I don't feel sorry for Ted Leonsis that he has to pay John Wall. Doug, do you see how much money the rookies in the NBA make, the elite level rookies make? So yeah, you got to pay the extra on the later side. I don't feel sorry for Ted Leonsis. Look at how he runs his organization. How do you explain Ernie Grunfeld still having a job? No. Think about it. John Wall hurt himself last year. He comes back this season and clearly, clearly had an issue on day one. How is he averaging 36 minutes a game? How do you allow that? How do you excuse that? So the people who were in my mentions telling me that, oh man, how do I feel sorry for John? And why are you acting like his life is over? There's all this other stuff, man. Look, if you don't want to give out sympathy to someone, a young man whose life literally is changing right now, maybe you had it all together at 28. I know I did it. I had my child at 27, right? And I know all the things that needed to happen. And my career was changing day in, day and out at 27, 28, 29. So I can only imagine how that feels on a much larger scale, making a significant amount of money. Man, y'all, just because you have money doesn't then mean that you don't feel or have regular emotions. So for the people who can't hand out or just cannot empathize or sympathize with another person who clearly is going through a lot, man, y'all are lame as hell to me, bro, for real. But even larger than that, because what happened Tuesday afternoon was the John Wall news. What happened early Wednesday morning in the a.m. hours, another huge story broke, and it was the Los Angeles Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers, who right now are the eighth seed in the Western Conference, basically was like, you know what? Nah, we're not going for the eighth seed. We don't want to play Golden State in the first round and get mopped. It's not really in our best interest. We're going to take the long view. And they traded their best player, acquired a lot of assets, and are gearing up for their future. Their best player didn't rupture their Achilles. The Clippers weren't over the cap for next season. So while everyone feels sad for John personally, as do I, this has to be the moment the Wizards finally hit the reset button. I feel stronger in that now than I did when I recorded the interview with Bryna. At this moment, there is no other excuse. At the time you guys hear this voice, the NBA trade deadline will either be fast approaching or long since passed, depending on when you click the play button on this podcast. And thank you so much for doing so. So I don't know what the Wizards have in store. If the Wizards do make a move, they may or may not. I do not know at the time I am recording this segment. But what I do know is that there is no doubt that they should. And I'm not talking about one move. I'm not talking about two moves. I'm talking about understanding that this team, as constructed, has no financial flexibility. They do not have a second-round pick for several seasons. 
They do not even play their first round pick that they just drafted. They have no, they don't have several team controlled young players who can outperform their contracts. They don't have any of that. And like I said in the very first quarter, you can dodge one bad contract. It's nearly impossible to dodge two. There is no way in the world you can dodge three, period. And that's what the Wizards are facing right now. Multiple bad contracts. And everyone I'm seeing, not everyone, but I'm seeing so many people, people who have been guests on this very show, write articles or go on the radio stations saying that, oh my gosh, re-signing Thomas Sadoransky is paramount. How, Slim? Thomas Sadoransky, very good player has done amazing in his job as a backup and replacement for John Wall. All those, all of those things are true. You want to know what else is true? Thomas Sadoransky is not a difference maker from a starting point guard position. If you are a team who is struggling to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, you cannot sign Thomas. You can't get into a bidding war for Thomas Sadoransky. You serious? What's the plan? Think of the bigger picture. And there is nothing. Juxtapose the Wizards and the Clippers. The Wizards have been the motto of, we're going to run it back. Continuity. We're going to do it again. Say, bring the band back together. We're going to run it back. Run it back. The Los Angeles Clippers, a year and a half ago, lost Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, J.J. JJ Reddick. In a year and a half, they lost Four of their five starters. Chris Paul at the time was one of the best players in the league. They lost their team. They blew it up. And a year and a half later, look at where the Clippers are right now. Positioned to sign one of the best players in the league in Kawhi Leonard. Multiple first round picks to then make other transactions. A promising young player who they drafted last year who, imagine this, they're playing. And no bad contracts on their books. Look at what the Clippers have been able to do and then juxtapose that to the Wizards. And before you guys say, oh man, it's the Clippers, they're playing a da-da-da-da-da. The Clippers don't have a history of signing free agents. They don't have a history at all. Baron Davis... Like, that's the one guy that they've signed in free agency. <laughs> a washed-up Baron Davis, matter of fact. So, no, they don't have a history of signing anybody. The Wizards signed Gilbert. And, yeah, I know Gilbert wasn't a high-priced free agent at the time, but he's been a better free agent signing than anything the Clippers have done. This is what happens when you're not myopic. This is what happens when you have foresight. Getting into a bidding war for Thomas Sadoransky, holding on to Bradley Bill while his trade value is at an all-time high. For what? How good is this team going to be next season? If you're Bradley Bill, you've already cursed out the general manager to his face. He's clearly fed up. How do I know? He has said it. You got two years left. You think 
whatever the Wizards do next season is going to be enough to convince them to stay because we all know if you got a star player heading into their contract year, you will get pennies on the dollar in return. Look at what Chris Paul got. Look at what the Pelicans got or the Hornets at that time, New Orleans got for Chris Paul. Look at Jimmy Butler. When the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler, they got Chris Dunn, Laurie Markkinen, Zach Levine. When the Timberwolves traded Jimmy Butler, same player, only difference is contract year. They got Robert Covington and Dario Sarge and Jared Bayless. Huh? You can, you can pivot. You can pivot. The Clippers have shown you what happens. The Sacramento Kings have shown you what happens when you take a larger view, when you are not myopic, when you are not just focused on to tomorrow, when you have some sort of vision. Bradley Bill having the best season of his career can't, make you, can't get you into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Next season, you're over the cap with five players, two of whom are rehabbing significant injuries. How are you going to improve the team? And then after that season, you think Bradley Beal entering his contract year is going to be so in love with losing? They have started to lose more the last three years than they did in Beal's first three or his first four to his last four. Like, they're not winning more. They're losing more. And you think that's going to be appealing to re-signing Brad after he's already cursed out the GM? Wake up! I don't know what the Wizards are going to do on Thursday. And by the time many of you all listen to my voice, you have already known what they have done. But as it stands right now, as I'm speaking to this microphone, what the Wizards should do, trade Thomas Sadoransky. Maybe you get a late first, heavy protected first round pick. More than likely, you get two seconds. You don't have any second round picks. You need to acquire everything. Trade Jeff Green, same reason. Trevor Ariza, you probably could get not only a second round pick, but a young prospect. Trade him. You know the Lakers, you know the Celtics, and you know the Pelicans are all desperate. And you know Anthony Davis is hanging in the balance. I'm not saying trade Bradley Bill for Anthony Davis. No, you're not going to get that. But get involved. You know that so many teams are desperate. And you have an asset that almost every team wants in Bill. Imagine how you can springboard into your reset if you moved Brad. Because guess what? There's little to no evidence that suggests when Bradley Bill's contract is up, he will resign. And losing Bradley Bill for nothing is the absolute worst case scenario. Trade Otto, trade Jeff, trade Ariza, trade Sato, trade Bill. Give yourself, give yourself as much ammunition and as much positive assets as you can to springboard into this reset because what I knew when they lost to Boston two playoffs ago, a team that they were significantly better than, when they lost that series, I knew it was time to blow it up. But unlike what Toronto did, but unlike what the Clippers have done, but unlike what that Celtics team, that very Celtics team that beat the Wizards, who then traded Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and Avery Bradley, 
they blew it up. Unlike all those other teams, the Wizards still are trying to run it back. Wake up, Mr. West. <laughs> Wake up, Uncle Ted. Because John Wall's news, while devastating for the player, should be the wake-up call for the team. Unfortunately, I don't have much hope that it was. All right, guys. Thanks for rocking with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report. Once again, I want to thank my guest this week, Brianna Kramer. Make sure you guys check her out and talk nerdy with us on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to the show. Before I go, make sure you guys head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you may listen to this podcast. Leave a five-star review. Tell me, tell your friends, and tell the world. Write down why you love the Quarterly Report and why, in my humble opinion, it is the absolute best sports podcast out there. Thank you all for listening to the show. I'll be right back here next Thursday for another episode of the Quarterly Report.